Bickley and Marotta mornings. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley Blast. One game is not a series, but Game 1 against the Nuggets felt much different than that Game 1 loss against the Clippers, and it's been a long time since I've seen a really good basketball team get run out of the gym like the Suns were on Saturday night. So, tonight is the response, and everything we need to know about our basketball team will be showcased in Game 2. Their focus, their effort, their resilience, that will be on display. Their internal belief, their competitive nature, their ability to rebound, literally and physically, that will be on display. Now, at some point, the Suns have to win a game in Denver to win this series, but they don't have to win tonight to restore belief. They just have to play better. They have to be better. They need to be urgent and desperate and forceful in everything they do. But if they do win tonight, the fear and loathing that you currently feel will suddenly switch sides and the Nuggets will be the team under tremendous pressure and duress, which means there's a great opportunity to flip the script and the table on the Nuggets in Game 2, and if the Suns are a championship-caliber team, they will not pass on that opportunity without a serious fight. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW, who have two great locations. Find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. I did not think that we were the aggressors in many respects, offensively, uh, defensively. Just them having a side out of bounds, being able to throw the ball right to the elbow on a chest pass. Like that's something that we just don't do. So we have to understand the physicality and disposition that is requisite for the playoffs. And we just didn't do it from the start. Third quarter was better. Fourth quarter had some spots. That's Monty Williams at practice yesterday on the subject of aggression becoming the aggressors. The Suns certainly were not that in game one. The fact of the matter is, um, you know, the Suns, it's never a stated goal when you're going on the road to begin a playoff series in the NBA playoffs. Your stated goal is, hey, we're coming back with one of these. Mm-hmm. If you get two, man, you've really set yourself up for success. The goal is still out there. If the Suns lose tonight and come home 0-2, it's, again, you, you said it earlier in the show, nothing has really happened. You hear no. that phrase every postseason. Yeah. The, the oh, series no doesn't start until the road team wins a game. Exactly. Um, that, you know, that could be tonight for the Suns. They're very cognizant of what they need to do and what they didn't do in game one. To Denver's credit, they played a fantastic basketball game, and, and here we are. Yeah, listen, there are people um, who, who have suggested that game one was very, very important for Denver, maybe even bordering on a must-win, given what happened against the Suns two years ago. That four-game beatdown that the Suns put on them. If the Nuggets opened up a series against the Suns and dropped game one, who knows what that what the repercussions would be. And this is exactly why I'm vibing on the idea that the Nuggets are not going to be quite the same team tonight as they were on Saturday night. Now, maybe that's more of a wishful thinking and a hope than, than an actual reality. Um, because if the Nuggets run the Suns out of the gym again tonight, then, then we probably do 
do have some serious issues. But uh, I, I will say this. Um, the moment Monty Williams came into the post-game media area on Saturday night, I could see, you could see a different Monty Williams. It looked like a head coach who um, knew, okay, we have got some serious as DA would say, lab work to do. Mm-hmm. And and he flat out said, everything is going to be on the table um, and, and we're going to have to get this thing figured out. I, I think the challenge uh, of coming back and, and playing this team after getting embarrassed the way they were, I, I think it, it could and should have a pro- profound effect on the Suns. Don't you think? I mean, this is a very, it's a very prideful group. Devin Booker, Chris Paul, uh-huh. Kevin Durant. When things are going well, they feel it, they show it, they wear it. Uh, this was this was a beatdown, man. This was this was not um, this was not becoming on on any level. And I really do believe they're going to be much better tonight. And and I said this earlier. I I, I said before the series began. I, I really believe that that Kevin Durant is going to uh, be moderately, uh, fairly well defended by Aaron Gordon and others, and he's still going to get his points. And I believe the same thing with Nikola Jokic. I, I think it really comes down to who is better, Jamal Murray or Devin Booker. I think that's going to be the pivot point in this thing, in, in this series. They can't let Jamal Murray just get off and get loose the way he did. And and, and the disdain he showed for Landry Shamit when Landry was trying to guard him, I wouldn't really go down that path again. Mm-hmm. But they've got to be a, just a lot more forceful in everything they do. And I think they're going to be okay. Yeah. And that's held suit so far one game in. Jamal Murray better than Devin Booker in game one. Nuggets win game one. I want to go back to the previous uh, discussion we were having before the break and before the blast pick about the psychology of a, of a playoff series. And there was one moment, and I know you were at the game, so you weren't privy to what was going on on the broadcast on TNT on Saturday. But Michael Malone was mic'd up. Um, and in one of the timeouts in the first half, he was you know stressing to his team on things to improve. And he it was talking. I believe it was on rebounding. I don't ha- I don't have the clip, uh, the audio of the clip. But in the huddle, he put it out there and he said, "Hey, if we want to win, not only tonight, but if we want to win the championship, we got a dot dot dot." And I thought, look, he's mic'd up. That's a it's a private moment made public by uh, you know media access. I thought I think that's always a very very slippery slope to go down when you're putting that carrot out there about a championship mm-hmm. in game one of the second round. Mm-hmm. I look. I don't know what that says to the mindset of that team. Their mindset was was really right on in, in game one. But yeah. if that's continuing to be repeated, I don't think that's the right way to handle things from a verbal standpoint, a motivational standpoint, or, psych- or a psychological standpoint. That's just my belief. Yeah, He may be on to something. Yeah, I don't know. Listen. But I just I think that's weird. And going back to the, the, the experience from two years ago and know the Nuggets were not a whole team and uh, you know they got dominated by the Suns in that four-game sweep. But I questioned a lot of the things that Michael Malone said to his team and about his team during that series. So there's a lot, uh, th- th- there's a lot of balls in the air right now uh, on, on how this can go tonight, I think. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And and I, I thought the Nuggets got a little wobbly at the end of the Timberwolves series. And again, I from, from the way from the, from the way they were strutting after game one, and again, it was a really good performance and, and they deserved to, 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 to celebrate that in proper context. But but even even for Mike Malone to come out and say, Jamal Murray's a bad man, that's what you say after a series is over. I don't think you, I, 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 I do, I, I what I 
said earlier about this team maybe losing its edge, the Nuggets I'm talking about now, maybe losing their edge based on the results of Game 1, based on this feeling that, oh, see, we can do this. We can beat this team. We've got this. Actually, that's a real dangerous mentality to kind of adopt. And I and they, they were they were feeling themselves after Game 1. And, and granted, in its context, that's understandable. But, but you have to understand, you don't win series with one game. Nope. You, we, there's many, many examples of this. The most famous one is that Celtics, what was it, a Memorial Day Memorial, Massacre? Memorial Day Massacre, yeah. Yeah, they just, they ran the Lakers out of the gym and everyone thought, oh, look at this, this is going to be a sweep. And the Lakers pummeled them from that point uh-huh. forward. So, I, yeah, I, I do agree with you. I, I'm still not buying the, the pedigree of this Nuggets team uh, until until they prove me wrong. Well, and especially to put that out there when you, you're, you're coaching a franchise and a team that that has not had championship experience. They've never yeah. they've never climbed that mountain. See what I did there, Denver Mountain. Oh, Ooh. yes, I do. <laughs> Coming up Good. next, you're on your game. Vinny. As we get ready for game two tonight, we will be joined uh, by Zach By from 104.3 The Fan in Denver, DenverSports.com, to get the Nuggets perspective heading into game two. It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on this Monday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports. The home of Phoenix Suns basketball. Suns playoff coverage presented by Michelob Ultra. Bickley and Murata talk Suns Nuggets now. It's the Monday edition of Bickley and Murata mornings. I'm coming to you live from the Auction Community Studios here in Phoenix. Bick on the road with the Suns in Denver. Site of uh, Game 2 tonight of that best of seven series between the Nuggets and Suns. Nuggets, of course, take Game 1 by 18 points. And, uh, you know, it is game day here to uh, give us the Denver perspective. Hopefully. <laughs> I think we're set up. We're here. Uh, okay, good, we're rolling. Good. Uh, joining us from uh, 104.3 The Fan and DenverSports.com, Zach Byer, our guest here on Bickley and Murata Morning. Zach, thanks so much for uh, spending some time with us today. We appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you guys uh, having me on and look forward to a good conversation, just like I uh, look forward to a, uh, a good series here. Hopefully a better game, too, from a Suns standpoint, for, for, from well, our perspective. Well, not hoping for that, I, I, I'm just telling him what I'm hoping for. All right, <laughs> let's, let's start here because one of the things that I think is interesting is, is the pedigree of this Nuggets team. They've had a, a playoff failures the last two years. What, what do you think of the of of that element of this team? Are they ready for this? If if in other words, yeah. Uh, actually, I think they. Uh, you could make a reasonable argument that they are, along with maybe the Boston Celtics, the most ready team in the NBA for a moment like this. The history of the league, you guys, says this is about a climb. Uh, very rarely um, uh, is there an instance like Phoenix where you're sort of. Building the airplane as it's taking off. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thirteen <laughs> games together before uh, a, a playoff run. That's that's unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Um, and typically, this league there comes failure before you reach the summit of the mountain you're climbing. Whether it's the Pistons in front of the Bulls, whether it's the Utah Jazz eliminating uh, Kobe and Shaq uh, two years in a row before they get over the hump. Uh, what 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 LeBron had to go through uh, with the Celtics. It is typically a climb. It's not an ad water and stir league. The NFL works like that, where you can back in as a wild card, go win a championship. We see it in hockey annually, um, but basketball is a little bit different. So when you have a core, and I'll just keep it to, right now, Jamal and, and Jokic, the best players, but you can extend it to the core four with Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. They have played together, I don't know what multiple of games more than this group in Phoenix, but they have uh, you know at the top played um, you know a thousand or so games together. I mean, they've played 
a lot of basketball together and stressful moments, whether it was Western Conference Finals run uh, in the bubble, whether it's Game 7, you know, being bounced. I mean, they have been through a lot. So I think experience matters. I think depth matters. This isn't a game of two-on-two. Um, I think home court matters. Uh, and, and for those reasons, um, I think uh, the Nuggets are really set up in this series. Zach, by our guest here on uh, Arizona Sports, going back to the Murray part of that, and you bring up a great point, and I love that phrase, <laughs> building a plane as it's uh, as it's taking off. But, you know, a couple of years ago, Suns fans had a lot of fun, and I'll admit it, I had a little bit of fun with the, the, the refrain from Denver coming out of that sweep by the Suns was, well, if Jamal Murray was healthy, dot, dot, dot. Well, guess what? He's healthy now. We saw what a, a healthy Jamal Murray can do, and I was blown away uh, by by this stat, Zach, that in his career, Jamal Murray has now played 21 games against the Phoenix Suns, and when he plays, they're 18-3. and three. Wow. It seems like he takes it personally against Phoenix. I mean, just y- your thoughts, and uh, also the fact that uh, in his TNT postgame interview on Saturday, he kind of took offense to the question about, hey, are you back to bubble Murray when he, he just went off uh, in that bubble in Orlando, but just your thoughts on, on where Jamal Murray is and and you know his role in this whole series. Yeah, so Jamal Murray is uh, has kind of been a, a, it's like a complicated case almost because the, the the best of who he is when you get him when you catch him at his zenith, he's as good as anyone in the NBA. And we saw that last series, a thirty five point game, a forty point game. We saw it in the bubble, multiple fifty point games. Um, but he has not crossed through the threshold of consistency. And that's the only thing that separates uh, really good NBA players from stars. There's about... 50 different guys in the NBA that can go get 35 points um, to do it every single night, to know what you're getting when you buy a ticket. That's what's held Jamal back. But I will say this, for whatever reason, man, when he gets in the playoffs, when these moments get big, he grows with it. Here's a stat for you. In the regular season for Jamal Murray in his whole career, he'll get to 40 points one out of every 100 regular season games. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason in the playoffs, it's one out of every seven. Wow. <laughs> he just grows wow. with he grows with the moment. And also with Jamal, he takes everything personally. And whenever he goes up against one of his contemporaries from Kentucky, there's something else <laughs> that there's something else that flips a switch with him yeah. as well. So uh, and then and then to address the Bubble Murray thing, and I hope I'm not rambling here, but if I'm Jamal Murray I hate the name Bubble Murray. Yeah. I've scored 7,000 points in this league. You're reducing my career to five, week, five weeks in an empty gym in Orlando? Like, that'd be, Dan, uh, Dan would be like, like, hey, Dan, hey, you sound good, man. You sounded like, you, you had a great show today. You sound like 2017, Dan. He'd be like, <laughs> all right. Like, I don't know, man. I appreciate it, I think. Yeah. Right? right yeah. So, so if I'm Jamal, you got to shed that. You got to shed that skin because we remember you for this one peak performance when in actuality, Jamal Murray's playoff career is stellar, and it's on full display here. It seems to me that that the Nuggets are vibing a little bit on this idea that as a number one seed, they're not getting a whole lot of respect. Now, the two and the three seeds are already gone, so so there is some there is some validity to the idea that these seedings in the regular season don't matter. But is this in play with the Nuggets? What, what, what specifically? In, in terms of the odds makers having the Suns as the favorites, yeah. that they're not getting sort of the, the respect that yeah. they may deserve. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, uh, yeah. So, sorry for misinterpreting your, your question. Yeah. A thousand percent. Like, I've never seen a one seed 
picked by no one to win it. Like, yeah. like no one. I mean, name me a national media member that even guys who are bullish on the Nuggets, like Bill Simmons or Zach Lowe or Charles Barkley, like they still didn't pick them to win the championship. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I think there is a, there is a real disrespect factor, and also a part of it I think has to do with people not syncing up the the past playoff failures with the lack of health. If you took two of the three top players from any team in the last five seasons and asked them to go be great in the playoffs, it's just not go, going to work. It, it just doesn't work like that. The NBA playoffs are about your high-end talent more than anything else. It's a star league. So when you don't have two max players out of your lineup and you're asking now Aaron Gordon, who is ideally a fourth option on a title contender, to be the two... It just it just doesn't work like that. So you're seeing a team that is whole this time of year for the first time in 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 years, mm-hmm. and um, it's uh, you're, you're you're really you're you're seeing the dividends of uh of of the of that path of that climb. Zach By, our guest, he's uh, from 104.3 The Fan in Denver and denversports.com. I'm always curious about this, the comparisons between sports cities, because we're in Phoenix, Zach, or at least I am. You guys are, are there, obviously. But we're, we're in a city right now that is living and dying with every Suns playoff game and has for the last two years. I'm curious the mood. I mean, the Nuggets, obviously, they flexed on, on the Suns on Saturday. They are legitimate contenders. But on the uh, on the other side of the of the coin there in Denver, you have the Avalanche, the defending Cup champions, losing in, in, in round one. What What is the mood and what is the Nuggets' place in, in the Denver sports landscape? In general, that's a really good question. Um, and I, I know a lot of people who are huge Huge fans of the Nuggets aren't going to want to hear my response to this question, but I'm going to answer it pragmatically. The Broncos are first. When the Broncos are good, you guys, you could add up the interest in the other three teams combined, and it gets to about the nipple of the Broncos. Okay. Uh, that's, that's but 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 the Broncos are now the worst post Super Bowl team in the history of NFL football. They, they, along with the Jets, have the longest playoff drought. So you're seeing a little bit of erosion. A little bit. People are still wanting to diagnose what the hell's going on, and they're angry. But it'd be Broncos first, and when the Avs have it humming, they're second. And then the Nuggets would come in third, uh, and the Rockies have been mostly irrelevant throughout the history of their franchise, maybe five appearances in the postseason in, in, in you know 30 years. So the Nuggets are third, but here's what I'll say. The Broncos have had parades. Dads have brought their sons. Those sons are now older, and, they, and that son got to bring his son to Von Miller's 2015. The Avs, the Avs won a cup in 96 in their first season here. Wow! Then they turn around and win it in 2001. Amazing! Then they win it again last year. There's real history embedded in the community. Mm-hmm. The Denver Nuggets have met, never made it to the finals, let alone win a championship. And I think when you win, when, and you win big, and you create memories, so much for me, is, sports is like... I have a son now, and you know, you know, grew up, you know, sports with my dad and stuff. It, you you create this um, like interwoven like helix of DNA within the community. The Nuggets don't have anything to draw from in that department. Their best days are, you know, getting bounced in the Western Finals with Melo or what coulda, shoulda happened with Alex English. This is what we're seeing is a golden era of Denver Nuggets basketball, where as great as Melo was, Melo was never first team All-NBA. He'll go to the Hall of Fame, never first team All-NBA. Jokic is an MVP. You have a secondary star in Jamal. You have two other, you know, $100 million guys. A coach that's the most longest tenure 
tenured along with Spolstra, Kerr, and um, I'm missing one of the pop in the NBA. So they've created this niche in the community that just wasn't there before. Yeah. And I think over the next two months, they can bring that niche to a whole nother level and uh, be more of a steadying force in Denver. Zach, great stuff, man. Yeah, Appreciate stuff, you sitting man. down with us. Uh, hopefully, and if this series drags on, maybe we can do it again. Oh, I would love that. And I've, I'm, I'm stealing one of you guys from my show today. You got so it. You guys got to figure it, it out. Thanks, Zach. Uh, Zach by 104.3 The Fan uh, in Denver, denversports.com. He joined us uh, here on uh, Bickley and Murata Mornings. Coming up next, Monty Ossenfor can sit back and take a deep breath. And you know what? He earned it with his work over the weekend. We'll get into some Cardinals draft talk next. Bickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Dan Bickley, Vince Murata. Bickley and Murata Mornings. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. We're excited about the last three days. Um, we think we, we added some, some good players. We came into the draft with eight picks. Um, came into the draft with eight picks, and we ended up with nine. And um, we're excited about those guys that we added, and excited about the not only the football players, but the, the people that we added to the building. It's Monty Austin Ford, the general manager of the Arizona Cardinals. Saturday, after it all wrapped up with those uh, nine players drafted over the three days, starting with Paris Johnson Jr. in the first round on Thursday, and ending up with uh, Dante Stills, defensive tackle out of West Virginia in the sixth round on Saturday. Uh, by most accounts. I'm not going to say all accounts. Everybody's got their own opinions, but uh, by most accounts, Bick, mm-hmm. Monty Ossenfort in his first experience of being the guy spearheading a draft effort for an NFL team did very well for himself. Not in uh, just the now with what he was able to get for this year's team, but how he maneuvered and was able to really set the Cardinals up for uh, a healthy future next year in the draft as well. Without a doubt. And 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 so when you add an extra first round pick uh, from from a team that might have a top five pick to give you, mm-hmm. with your own in a year where you're not really, um, where you where you're not eyeing a run to the playoffs, and then you add a couple of third round picks. The versatility he is going to have, particularly with a guy like Caleb Williams expected to be at the very top of the draft, it's going to be quite something. So mm-hmm. I, I think that um, the way the draft began with the the tampering issue and the charges and being docked 28 spots in in the third round. Uh, juxtaposed to the way it ended, that was quite a journey and quite a job done by Monty Austin Fort. And, and I, after after day one, listening to how how in the moment he was and how much he was vibing on being in that moment, I I I, I had never heard a GM talk like a first time GM talk like that before, no. and I was very excited. And and he followed through. He 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 did a real good job at, at working the draft and 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 you know again staying in the moment, keeping an open mind, and, and I love the fact that unlike his predecessor he draft positions he drafted p- positions of value a, a premium position so that's a, that's another key to this rebuild going forward so you know for all the dysfunction we've dealt with and I'm sure there's probably going to be more um it, at least we've got confidence that we've got a real um pedigree general manager in place and that's uh that's that's a start yeah i mean one of the questions that we were asking going into the draft is how much do the arizona cardinals love will anderson jr and that became a question again on thursday night when quarterbacks went one and two and anderson was on the board and monty osenfort said you know what we like this guy but houston loves him more so let's take advantage of them and to your point 
to get that first-round pick next year from Houston. The Texans won three games last year. They've won 11 games over the last three seasons combined. The reality of the situation is they're going to have a rookie quarterback in C.J. Stroud and a rookie head coach in D'Amico Ryans. They're not going to win very many games unless they surprise everybody next year. Mm -hmm. So to be able to grasp that pick next year gives them the possibility maybe of certainly of two top five picks because the Cardinals projections aren't that great either. But you could have the top two picks in the draft. Certainly two of the top three, which we saw this year, and that is a rarity. So job well done there as well. I was kind of uh, interested, too, in in a couple of the picks, uh, specifically the two third-round picks. Mm -hmm. Garrett Williams, the corner out of Syracuse. Michael Wilson, the wide receiver from Stanford. Mm -hmm. Two guys who had uh, injury questions. Williams, more so a season-ending ACL injury um, that that shortened his season last year. So a lot of people loved that pick to get him in the third round. They like him as a player, but that was a question. Uh, Wilson for you know an injury bug that really followed him throughout his career at Stanford, and he was there for five years. That was a guy that jumped off and, and really opened eyes at the Senior Bowl, though, and, and, and improved his stock. Um, the Clayton Toon pick, a quarterback in, in the fifth round, the kid out of Houston, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the quarterback from UCLA, went one pick later to Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And I thought he would have been a great fit for uh, maybe that style of play, because he's a running quarterback as well, that that Cardinals-Kyler Murray style of play. Um, So I was a little curious that they went with with Clayton Toon there as opposed to Dorian Thompson-Robinson. But now that's five quarterbacks in the room right now. But I expect Clayton Toon to be on this roster. I think if all goes... Correctly, uh, Colt McCoy will be on this roster. Obviously, Murray, uh, Clayton Toon, and they'll probably have to keep a fourth quarterback as Murray works himself back to health. So Blau like Cow, prob- sort of. Probably Blau, and that would leave Jeff Driscoll uh, out in the cold. But uh, I thought that was an interesting pick in the yeah, first round, Yeah, and, and this Clayton Toon kid, I don't know much about him, so I'm not going to pretend I do, but he, but he certainly has a ton of confidence. And for him to call himself the best quarterback in the class was, I, I thought, very Josh Rosen-esque, right? Uh-oh. But, but, but there are people... Who who really like this kid, and that's that's interesting to me. It is Clayton Tune didn't come out and say, "Hey, there were 138 mistakes made ahead of me." Did he? <laughs> no, he didn't say that. Good. good. Right. It is interesting that we got through the draft though, and. The non-draft questions are still lingering of, of DeAndre Hopkins, yes. Buda Baker, that up. and then there's Isaiah Simmons' uh, option that they Who, still have right, to... and that has to be exercised by the end of today if the Cardinals want to do right. it. And it doesn't sound like they're all that interested in it, which is very, very fascinating to me. And and because we've seen this movie before, mm-hmm. but but at the same time, this kind of speaks to this speaks to um, part of the issue with the Cardinals and part of their downfall was a general manager trying to validate and secure his own job security by force-feeding uh, playing time of his draft picks. And I think we saw a lot of that with Isaiah Simmons, and and his development has been very, very staggered and very, very poorly planned. And, and I think that's going to change as well. I think that if Monty Ford is this organized for the draft, I, I would like to think that they'll be that organized in player development as well, and that's a good thing. Now, DeAndre Hopkins, I, I, maybe I am insane for thinking this way, but I love the fact that Monty Ford did not peddle him before the draft only because it just it it speaks to me of a guy that understands value and understands um that teams were looking at the cardinals with a perceived weakness and he nullified that weakness yes you're so right 
teams going in were probably thinking, all right, we could we could probably lowball them on an offer. They're, oh, they're yeah. desperate to get rid of him. They want immediate help this year. And what Monty Ossenfort did very early on with the trade down from 3 to 12 initially and picking up the extra pick for next year, at first blush for me, it was a disappointment because it was the lack of immediate help. That sent the signal to everybody, like, this guy's not desperate. He's he's not. No. He's, he's going to dig his heels in. And you still have opportunities to trade DeAndre Hopkins as we get closer to the season. I mean, what's going to happen if, if, if some team, God forbid, is, is dealing with an injury to a top receiver suffered in a, in a minicamp or, or early in training camp? They're going to be the desperate team. So mm-hmm. he's kind of put the onus of desperation on the other organizations. Exactly. But go out and get DeAndre Hopkins. It'll be interesting, though, as offseason stuff starts happening more and more, uh, workouts and all that stuff, mm-hmm. how unhappy are DeAndre Hopkins and Buda Baker, what they show up to, what kind of scene, what's well, the next move they make, stuff yeah. like that. Well, I, I think I think the Buda Baker story, um, it, there's there is still there's still chapters to be written. Uh, Monty Ford told Buda, we will talk about your contract and money after the draft is over. Mm-hmm. So so I do believe there will be movement on that this week, and and it and it might very well be that that Monty Ford looks at this and says, this is we are not in the position to spend twenty million dollars a year on a safety. We love you, but this is just not where we're at. And that would be that's something that the Patriots do very frequently. Yes, and and, and this is and he's got you know Patriot blood in him. So I'm not sure which way the Buda Baker thing is going to go, but I do believe that people looked at all the dysfunction surrounding the owner in Arizona and and, and all the stuff surrounding Kyler Murray and four and thirteen and, and and all of the shenanigans. And I think people from the outside looked and said, "Oh, the last thing the Cardinals are going to do is that they are not going to absorb." any distractions, any unhappy players. And, and I'm really, really, really happy that Monty Austin Ford said, no, we've got an asset of, of of serious value and we're not going to give them away. I'm not sure how noisy it's going to get, but it, it's it, because, I mean, for DeAndre Hopkins to be come out and talk, oh, I, you know, I really like the Buffalo Bills as an organization. I'm like, dude, you are under contract. <laughs> so so I, I, I'm not sure where it's going to go. I, I, I think if D-Hop really, really is hell-bent on changing his image and getting the Hall of Fame, the last thing that he needs to do is to start squawking from the sidelines. So I I think the Cardinals have more leverage here than people give him credit for. I think you're probably right. Coming up next, the core four for the Phoenix Suns has been talked about a lot, but maybe for the first time since this core four has been together, they all need to be better for the Suns to win game two. We'll get into that next. It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the home of Phoenix Suns basketball. Suns playoff coverage presented by Michelob Ultra. Bickley and Murata talk Suns Nuggets now. Yeah, I think we were good in spurts. Um, early on, it was tough. We got physical and a lot of fouls called, so you know, just trying to stay away from that. Um, but yes, yeah, that's that. We're going to be physical. Um, they're a physical team. They're going to be on the offensive board. It's going to be a lot going on in the paint. And, uh, we just need to take care of that. It's Devin Booker following uh, game one on Saturday night. Suns lose by 18 to the Nuggets, and there was a lot of areas of improvement to uh, be discussed. 
Devin Booker choosing the physicality uh, portion of, of that discussion. But, you know, early in the show, we had those the, the conversation, Bick, about not much going well for the Suns uh, other than shooting percentage. They got out-rebounded. They got out-physicaled. Um, you know, they, they got killed on the offensive glass uh, in, in certain stretches. Uh, their pick-and-roll offense was dreadful. Their defensive intensity was not very good. Um, so there's a lot to, to improve. But if you just want to talk about the, the cast of characters, it was one of those games where Kevin Durant, De, uh, Devin Booker, they combined for well, 56 points in that game. They both shot well over 50% uh, for the game. But Durant, Booker, Ayton, and Paul, the so-called core four of the Suns, they need to be much better for them yes. to have a chance to climb back into the series. I, indeed. And and I, I really like the energy and the insight that Zach By brought to us because I, I did not know some of those stats with Jamal Murray. In fact, I didn't even know he was 18-3 and three against the Suns. That yeah. was, that was, that's a remarkable stat in and of itself. Yeah, I, I do agree. I do agree with this wholeheartedly. I, I think it's it starts with Devin Booker, who um, spent most of yesterday's practice sitting and resting because he played 40 minutes in, in game one. Yep. Um, his mentality, as as we both talked about, and, and it, it was clear for everyone to see he was back in foul hunting mode. He needs to shake that, and he needs he needs just to go in and, and be like Jamal Murray was in game one, and I think everybody will follow. Then D.A., I'm sure D.A. will have a bounce back game tonight. I hope he will. Uh, the thing that the thing that I think DA has to be reminded about is that this is what the playoffs feel like. It's not comfortable, and we know he's a guy that does not like contact. I mean, I mean nobody likes it. Well, some people like it, but but you've got to absorb it. You, you just have to play through it and fight through it. So I, I think you're going to get bounce back performances from them. And then I'm going to be really curious, Vinny, to see if there is a if there's an effort to just up the volume of three point shots attempted, um, because it, when you look at the stat sheet, the Suns ended up t- attempting 23 of them. Most of those came, you know, when the game was already well out of hand because uh-huh. at halftime they had only had attempted five. I'm going to be curious to see if, if that is part of the program tonight. Chris Paul has been Chris Paul took accountability for once again playing too slowly for bringing the ball up too slowly. Um, I, I had somebody tell me yesterday that, that Chris Paul, one of his issues is is he is not in the best of physical shape, which I find to be fascinating. It's, it's not something that jumps out at me, but it's something that was uh, was passed along to me yesterday, and it's not much, but I was told that three, four, five pounds heavier than optimum optimum has a, a dramatic effect on Chris Paul. So, it, so he's got to play with a little more pop, if you will, a little more juice, and then I think everything else will fall into place. I, I, I think it's I, I think it's foolhardy to, to believe that the bench will suddenly begin to to match the Nuggets bench. That is not the way this team is built, and we have to kind of accept that and live with that. But I do think that the the core four, if you will, is good enough to to hang with this. Denver team and then beat them at the end. That's their formula. Yep, Kevin Durant uh, talked about all the problems in Game One that uh, afflicted the Suns being correctable for Game Two. Uh, just playing harder, just playing more discipline um, on both ends of the floor. I think around this time, the fundamentals are the most important part of the team and as an individual player. So if you can uh, play to your fundamentals as much as possible, you give yourself a good chance to win. So I know that sounds simple and basic, but that's really what basketball is. So. You mentioned DeAndre Ayton. You expect a a bounce-back game. And again, the statistics were okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, 7 of 11 shooting, 14.7 rebounds. It was more about force, again, with with DeAndre Ayton or or lack of activity. Monty Williams yesterday at practice was asked, in in his mind, what, what makes... 
for a good DeAndre Ayton game? A number of things. When he's sprinting down the floor, uh, when he's setting screens and diving hard, when he's on the offensive glass, his crash rate was really low last night. That's that's not something D.A. is known for. His crash rate is usually high 60s, even 70%. So his was much lower last night. I think it was the lowest. That's just not D.A. D.A. is a high-level, uh, not big, he's a high-level basketball player. And a lot of it for him is when he plays with that aggression and force, it, it actually energizes the team. And, uh, we all talked about how we can do a much better job in that regard. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's funny to hear um, Monty go past what we're reduced to, and that's the eyeball test with with DeAndre Ayton. The amount of statistics and data and analytics that they have, like their crash rate, that's not mm-hmm. it's not something right. you talk about a lot, but yeah. it's something that the Suns obviously are cognizant of, and and they're willing to admit, hey, it wasn't up to snuff for for DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, you know, this is another one of those poke DA games. You didn't have it in game one. We need mm-hmm. you to set that tone. And, and DeAndre Ayton is a guy who made that claim. Like, I set the tone on both ends of the floor for this team. Well, that w- that tone wasn't set in game one, and that needs to be better. No, that yes, that that definitely needs to be better. So I, I really do honestly believe that that most of the issues that we saw uh, on Saturday night is not an overmatched basketball team. It was a basketball team that brought a lazy game to the floor that that didn't match the Nuggets' urgency. Whether or not Denver has that urgency again remains to be seen. Whether or not Jamal Murray is going to continue to cook remains to be seen. But again, it's it's it, I, I went back and and after. We talked earlier today. Yes, I, I did go back and kind of peruse some of the Suns' Twitter. Mercy, what a minefield that is after Suns games. It's uh, it's something that I I, I deal with and I, I just hit a different level on Saturday. Like, <laughs> yeah, and 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 you find a lot of good stuff, and you get into a lot of good conversations, or people bring up great points. But you also read some of the dumbest things you'll ever see with your own two eyes mm-hmm. on, on Suns Twitter. It is. After a game. It's the most passionate fan base in the valley, good or bad. Sometimes the the passion leads to crazy takes and yeah. overreaction. The Cardinals fan base is is right up there too. I, we haven't seen it in a while because they haven't been, uh, you know, the, the last year was, was obviously very right. rough. But yeah, when, when it, the Cardinals are good, the, the fan base is very, very switched on. Yeah, but I, but I think what Jared is saying is is accurate. It's a sign of passion, and it's, it's also a sign of just how, how fragile the fan base is based on all of the heartbreak. And that's, that's why if and when the championship arrives, and I do think they're going to get one. It might not be this year, but I do think they're going to get one in the Kevin Durant um in the time that he has left in Phoenix, I do think it's when it, when that happens. I think it's going to be a brand new day for everybody in Arizona, and that's what I'm hoping for. But I just I I think it's got to start internally with a with a basketball team that brings a ferocity to the game tonight and a focus to the game tonight. Takes care of the basketball. It, it's one of the things that I I noticed is in in the ebb, ebb and flow of every basketball game. There's just little mini runs by every team. It goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Many times I've noticed on opponents against the Suns that when the Suns get something going, the opponents seem to be able to find a three-point shot that stalls the Suns' momentum. Mm -hmm. Suns don't have that. 
And, and so when the Nuggets go on these things, it's hard to match buckets with a team that's on a run when you're not effectively shooting three pointers. And, yeah. and and this is this is a weakness to the to of this basketball team that I know is going to be addressed in the off season. But I, I just wonder in the short term, what does it mean? Do you do you go and give Damian Lee another twelve minutes? Do you do you put Terrence Mann into the game earlier? I'm sorry, Terrence Ross into the game. I wish it was Terrence Mann. Do you put Terrence <laughs> Ross into the game a little bit earlier and see see if he can be that threat from outside? I don't know. I, I'm I'm really curious to see what the balance is between reaction and overreaction with this team coming out of Game One. Yep. If the uh, Suns fan base is the most passionate on Twitter, the Bickley and Murata Mornings fan base is a close second. <laughs> yeah. And we will check in with that fan base.